the rest of us will be continuing in the book of John. So, uh, we have just seen the testimony of John the Baptist, and now uh, we get to see everyone's first response to this testimony, to his witness. So, the message is going to start spreading, and people are naturally going to be drawn and, and sharing the truths about Jesus Christ. But on the other side of that, not only do we see other people's response, we actually get to see, for the first time in John, Jesus' response to his followers. He is interacting with the people that he has come to save. And we see, like, okay, what, what is it like to interact with the Son of God? What does it look like to follow him? What, is, what does he say? What does he do? Hopefully that we might first learn to follow like those early followers did and that we might know Christ and receive him and, and know that, okay, this is how he addresses us as we pursue him and as we follow him. So we're going to see a couple things that he does particularly. He, he knows his followers by name and gives them new names. He knows them and he changes them. And he's also going to Embrace even those who, who doubt and who are skeptics that he might reveal more of himself to them. So we have this Savior who, uh, who calls people to follow him just as they are, but then sends them and changes them in his union with them. So uh, let's read John 1, verses 35 through 51, and then we will uh, talk about it. So John 1, verses 35 through 51. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided... He, he decided, we'll talk about that. Uh, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was in Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus that we may follow him, that we may know him, that we may uh, hear his teachings, that we may abide in him. Lord, would you uh, change us as we walk with and, and follow Jesus Christ? Lord, would you give us new names? Would you reveal yourself more fully to us that we may know you and know ourselves fully and in truth and may live to your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we begin by seeing uh, the first followers and Jesus' response to Simon. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. All right. So we've already talked about what this means. The Lamb of God, this is the one who takes away sins, who, who dies for the sins of his people. And once again, John is proclaiming this message that this one Jesus is the very Lamb sent from God, the one who takes away sins. And these disciples of John, they hear this and they start to follow him. Now, early in all of the Gospels, we have these call narratives, right? Where Jesus uh, interacts with his first disciples and people begin to follow him. And most of the accounts, it seems like, this random guy just walks up to people, says, follow me, and they just like abandon all of their life and, and run after this guy. And that's all that goes through their mind. All right, I like this passage because it starts to fill it out a little bit. Right? It's not just that this, this random person shows up and, oh, of course, why would I not give my life to follow you? No, it's, it's based upon a testimony. It's based upon what, uh, what John the Baptist has said. And I think that's helpful because I think there can be some misunderstandings of, of how we interact with Jesus or how people were, responded to his call. All right, so first, all right, as we picture Jesus... All right, he's not floating six inches off the ground. And I know you all know that, but like sometimes it feels like that. Or like he's slightly glowing, or like it just has this like magic aura around him that people would see Jesus and be like, oh, of course, I want to follow you. No, that's great. All right, that's not how it was. He didn't look any different. He didn't come off any different. He didn't have this magnetism that just drew people to him. Isaiah even says, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. All right, he doesn't look any different. Similar, like the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We think, oh, like, was it glowing? You know, is, is there like, is there a fence around it? Like, no, it just looked like a tree. These things are received by faith. And when these people decided to follow Jesus, they heard, this is the Lamb of God. And so when they're invited to follow him, or they'd received a testimony. That's why John the Baptist came. And they had faith. They believed the testimony. They believed the witness. Now, a second thing, thinking of misunderstanding, is that there was maybe this expectation that you're just irresistibly called to Jesus in the sense that like, you have no no agency in the matter, that you're just swept along, and of course, 
You should want to give all of your life to Jesus the second that he calls. And that's just not the reality. It's an act of faith. It's hearing that this, this is Jesus, who he is, that he is the one who takes away sins, that he is the Messiah, he's the true king. And it is a decision. All right, it's not like we're activating like your, I don't know, the secret code in your brain and you are a sleeper agent and all of a sudden you're, you're a super Christian. It's not like that. And if you're waiting for that to happen, it's, and you're like, oh, I guess I'm just not called. No. The call is to believe what is said about Jesus. And it's a decision, as much as it is, the Holy Spirit working inside of us and drawing us to Christ. It's both. And we, we interact with different call narratives because it's different. We're seeing different instances where Jesus speaks to someone like Peter and calls his disciples. He actually has multiple interactions with these people before they come and follow him. All right, so with that in mind, uh, we're going to see how this, this pattern keeps on going, that this is through testimony and through witness that this message spreads and people begin to follow Jesus. They follow him. Now, throughout this text, uh, we're going to see a lot of like, in the text, it's normal. All right, they follow him. What does that mean? In the text, it means they started walking or walking behind him. <laughs> like, uh, I, I guess let's go see what he's up to. And yet John intentionally uses these words because they're going to build into like major theological, spiritual concepts. That it starts with two people just walking behind Jesus. And he's saying that, well, this is the path that all believers are supposed to follow. That we become followers in the sense that we become people who want to know Jesus, who want to be taught by him, who want to obey him, who want to sit under him, and they become pupils, they become disciples. So we're starting to introduce that concept here. People who, who move towards Jesus. And what, how, does Jesus, how does Jesus respond to this? Verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. All right, the first words of Jesus spoken in the book of John, what are you seeking? This first section of John, it's laying the groundwork. And it's not just addressing them at the time. It's addressing everyone who reads this book and the first words of Jesus are, what are you seeking? And we must answer this question in our hearts. Because Jesus is not the answer to every question. There are some things we might be seeking that we might not actually find in Jesus. And if we run to Jesus with those things, we might be disappointed. And so he asks, what are you seeking? All right, silly story. Uh, I, I'm like traumatized from fifth grade because of this. 
and you're saying it's not going to make sense. But uh, all right, so my mom pulled up to the drive-thru. I'm in the passenger seat, and my mom orders a Big Mac. And what did the, the, the teller say? Ma'am, this is a Burger King. <laughs> and, and she says, she's from California, but she says, sounds like a Midwesterner. And she goes, golly. And I was so embarrassed. Like my mom was the biggest nerd ever. And we like messed up and I, I was shanking my seat. All right. You can't find everything you want and you have to go to the right place. All right. That's a terrible story. But uh, <laughs> you'll meet my mom soon. She's coming. So that'll be fun. Uh, okay. Uh, so sometimes you can bark up the wrong tree. And Jesus might be the wrong tree if you're seeking the wrong things. All right, if you're seeking a happy life based upon your own wisdom, you need to recognize you're going to the man of sorrows and asking for just a jolly good time. You're not going to find it there. Or maybe you're, you're seeking the darkness or seeking to, to hide in the shadows then you shouldn't be seeking the light of the world. Or maybe you're seeking to be affirmed and told that all your opinions are right and everything that you believe is correct. And you're coming to the one who is truth. The person, truth, the word. And he's, he's not going to give you that. But these, these disciples, what are they they're looking for? They're looking to know him and to be with him. They want to be in his presence, and it seems that Jesus recognizes that that's the, the right answer to the question, what are you seeking? And their question is actually, it's a, once again, it's like kind of metaphorical and uh, and latent with meaning here. It says, it doesn't say where are you staying. It says in the fully, where are you abiding? And when we say that word abide, it, it kind of pops out to us because throughout John, that concept is everywhere. Abide in me and I in you and you will have life. And there's this concept that it's abiding. It's more than just like, hey, can we stay with you for the night? It's, hey, can we live in you? Seek shelter in you. Find our, our being in you. And if that is what we are seeking, then Jesus says, come. Come, stay with me. Absolutely. Abide with me and I will abide with you. And you will know me and I will know you. But notice what he says. He says, not like, oh, I'm, I'm staying over there. He says, what do you say? Come, come and you will see. I want to see that throughout this, these, these couple narratives that it's not just like a giving out information. It's a it's come and meet him. Come and know him. Come and spend time with him. And then, then you will know. Jesus is not a guru who's just like throwing out wisdom and go live your life however you want, or, or here's some principles to live by. No, he's a person to live with and to follow and to walk with. And we have to ask ourselves, okay, are we following Jesus 
So are we following his teachings? Are we following ourselves? Are we following the world? Do you live day by day in the presence of Jesus? Recognizing that you, you live in him. You're called to, to obey and hear and, and be led by him. It's a very different Christianity. Is it a way of life or is it a person who calls you into relationship? All right, now, Jesus is going to interact with, uh, with two disciples, more particularly with Nathaniel and first with Simon. So first we see Andrew. Andrew goes to his brother. There's 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. So this is written a little bit later, the Gospel of John, and so people already know who this is. Uh, they're excited to hear this guy's name. He's famous. So uh, he first found his own brother, Andrew did, uh, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So first, you follow, and second, the natural response is, go tell people. I'm going to go find my brother. He needs to come. We have found the Messiah. We've found the, the anointed one, the chosen one, the one we've been waiting for. The final king, the final prophet, the Holy Spirit giver, the one who takes away sins. Come. We have found him. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. All right, think about this interaction. You go to meet someone, and what do they say? They say who you are by name, and then they say, well, and, and that's not going to be your name anymore. I both know you, and I am changing who you are. First, Jesus already knows Simon. He knows his followers. He knows his disciples. He is the shepherd. He knows his sheep. And he knows the ones who will follow him before, before they were created. When they were still in the, in the mind of God, as it were, if he has a mind like that, we probably, that's probably the wrong way to say it, but he created them. He knows them. We think of what does he know about Simon? He, as the divine God, he knows Peter's foolishness, Simon's foolishness, his rashness, his immaturity, his pride, his boastfulness. He knows the, the rejection and denial that Peter will, will come to. Poor decisions and, and fear. He knows who this is, who Simon is, and yet he says, you shall be Cephas, Peter, the rock. He knows and he, he knows who he will be, who he will change Peter into. That Peter will be the foundation of the church, the one who preaches the very first sermon of the resurrected Christ, who leads the church. 
who writes letters of the New Testament, who becomes a, an apostle, a builder of the church, a founder of it. And we see in this that it's a scary thing to be really known. That's an unsettling thing, to, to meet someone and they already know who you are. And in this case, it's not just they know your name. Like This implies that he knows him. Many of us don't want to be known, but we have to be known if we're to be loved, if we're to be changed, if we're to be saved. And remarkably, Jesus is all too willing to call us names that don't feel like they fit us yet, to give us names that, that we think don't really apply, but he calls us those things because he will make us those things, and he is making us those things. What does he call us? He calls us saints, holy ones while we are still sinners. While we are still actively sinning, he calls us holy ones because he knows that he will defeat sin. And if you put your faith in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit actively defeating sin, moving you away from it, killing it. Until that final day, he calls us children, children of God, even as we love Satan, the father of lies, and the, we run after the world, and we live in the sin. But no, he, he has adopted us, and he calls us children. He calls us the apples of his eye. When we look at ourselves and we ask, how could he even accept us? How could he love us? How could he have any regard for us in light of our sin? And yet, we're the ones in whom he delights. As you follow and abide in Christ, what name, what name has he given you? What name do you need to, to answer to? Is it, is it child? Is it, is it masterpiece? His workmanship? Is it the, the Lord's portion, his chosen one? Is it friend? Is it brother or sister? Is it bride? The spotless bride? Or the beloved one? I know these names don't feel like they should fit but they are the names that he gives us and the names we should answer to because of what Christ has done for us. He has taken the old names away and given us new ones. Live in them. Be what Christ has called you to be because that is who you are. He has the power to do it. And we can hold those things together in tension, that we are both these things, but what Christ says goes. Amen? Now, so we are known, and he tells us who we are in him by his death and resurrection. Now we have another witness, uh, a follower that continues with Nathaniel. So the next day, he, 
decided to go to, to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. All right, this is a minor point, but I'm going to say it. Um, no, it's, it's unclear here who is actually going to Galilee. It doesn't say Jesus. That's kind of interpreted in. It just says he. He went to Galilee. Uh, and it kind of fits the theme a little better. If it's not suddenly Jesus is like, I, I want to go and find this other guy. But that the he is actually Andrew. So first he went to Peter. It says that. First he went to Peter. And then second, he goes to Galilee, finds Philip and says, follow me. Come, we're going to go, go see this, this Jesus, the Christ. Now, if you want to fight with me about that, I don't care. Um, but it does imply, like, throughout this passage, it implies there's this, it's through witnesses, it's through testimonies. It's, it's people who have found Jesus leading people to Jesus. And if you're a follower of Christ, you invite other people to follow you. Not to follow you, but follow you as you lead people to Jesus. That's the, the natural response, and it, I think it's upheld here and doesn't start the cycle again with Jesus, but instead with Andrew. But All right, so Andrew goes to Philip, and now Philip goes to Nathaniel. Verse 45. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Right, we found him. This person who is throughout all of the Old Testament, all, who has been pointed to in, in figures, in symbols, in prophecies, in better thans. We have found him. Here he is, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel is not impressed. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? All right, a little bit of a, a regional prejudice here. Um, what's the problem with Jesus of Nazareth? The Messiah is not supposed to be Jesus of Nazareth. It's supposed to be Jesus of Bethlehem. And so here's this, and mm, it's not how it's supposed to be. And he's the son of Joseph. It's not very impressive, the son of a tradesman. This random guy from the wrong city. Now, there's an irony here, of course. We know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. God made that happen, but he's still Jesus of Nazareth. And it's kind of an understatement to say that he's uh, the son of Joseph when he is the son of God. But this is who's presented to Nathaniel. He looks like nothing. He doesn't fit what you'd want. He doesn't fit what you're looking for. And yet, Philip says, come, come and see. And that's where there's a, there's a limit to who, what we can tell people about Jesus. And we're not inviting people to, to come to us and learn about Jesus from us. No, they, they go to Jesus. They see him. There they could actually see him face to face. Here we, we present him in the word. We allow people to, to see the real Jesus unfiltered and kind of rude and awkward sometimes and 
and see him and know him. And Philip, Philip, he invites him and Nathanael goes. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. All right. He could have said, Here's, here's an Israelite who is insulting me or denying me, the skeptic or the doubter, the naysayer. All right, we read the gospel so that we actually get to know Jesus, not just to confirm who we already thought Jesus is. And Jesus, what does he do? He, he delights. He delights in this one who doubted him. He sees this one who is honest in his doubt and in his skepticism. And he's not even just okay with it. He rejoices in it. He praises him. That here's someone who will at least say what is honestly on their, on their hearts and minds. Because honestly, if you, if, you, if you can't do that, if you won't do that with Jesus, he can't really help you. I used to do counseling at a counseling center, and one of my first counselees, eight weeks in, admitted to me, oh, I've been lying to you this whole time. I was just coming because someone required me to do it, and like, I, don't actually, I didn't actually want to be here. Now I'm actually ready to tell you what my real problems are. All right. Those first eight weeks were rough, and we didn't get anything. Like it was all a lie. He didn't change. Nothing helped. It was like, I'm a really bad counselor. No, he's a really bad counselee. All right. But then after that point, like, okay, now change can really start. All right. I'm not saying that Jesus can't overwhelm hearts that are rebellious and are deceptive. But Jesus, he moves towards people who are honest, even if they are more sinful And actively rejecting him, there is more hope for them because they will at least see they are enemies and can become friends. He can turn sinners into saints. He can't send, turn hypocrites into saints because they're already saints in their own minds. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they don't need a Lamb of God. They don't have any sins to have taken away. And so Jesus delights in honesty. And we're going to see that throughout. People who, who just put it all out there are welcomed. And maybe you're not that kind of person. You can choose to be that kind of person with Jesus. And you can either have like filtered, pretty little prayers that say exactly what you're supposed to say, or you can pray and say, like, well, honestly, this is what I want, or this is what I'm seeking, and it's not, you're, you said you're not going to give that, and sorry, I'm wrestling with that. Or I'm really angry about the way that things are going right now. Or I have my doubts here and here and here. All right, that's how we interact with Jesus. He invites those people in. He invites us to be those people with him. Now he goes on. 
Nathaniel, he, he realizes this is an accurate assessment of who he is in verse 48. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. All right. We don't know what has happened under the fig tree. Absolutely no idea. You can, anyone who says they know, they don't. But this was a miraculous enough message to Nathaniel that at that point, he's convinced. He's absolutely convinced that this is both the Son of God and the King of Israel. Now, when we say Son of God, you have to be careful because Son of God doesn't always mean divine God, second person of the Trinity. Right, oftentimes, the King is called the Son of God or the Messiah is called the Son of God, not in the sense that he's truly God's Son, but in the sense that like, oh, he's, he's like God. He's, he's parallel to God. He's related to God in this sense. He's a son. Now, once again, this is uh, latent with more meaning than is actually here. We who read it now, we're like, wow, he, he, was, he was more right than he thought. And it took other people's like centuries to figure this out. But this skeptic, after one, one little piece of knowledge, he gets it. But Jesus knows he hasn't fully gotten it, and he answers. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus picks uh, one little piece of the Old Testament, where we said that, oh, this is a fulfillment of all of the law of Moses and all of the prophets. And Jesus picks up uh, one little piece and says, you know, I'm going to reveal who I am as the, the fulfillment of the story of Jacob's ladder. Now, Jacob, he is uh, one of the patriarchs. He's actually renamed Israel, so he gets a new name, the, the one who wrestles with God. And Jesus says, you know what, you, you don't really know who I am. And he could have said, you know, you're a skeptic and you're a doubter and I'm never going to reveal myself to you. No, what is like, if you admit that you don't know who I am and doubt it, I, I'm going to show you all the depths of who I really am that I am the ladder that Jacob saw. Now Jacob was in the desert and he sees the heavens opened and, the, and God on his throne and a ladder with angels descending down and going up. And Jesus said, you know, they were, you're going to see a similar vision, patriarch worthy vision. A vision that like the one who was originally called Israel was blessed with. And you're going to see that it was me. I am the one on whom angels ascend and descend. 
Jacob says, this is, this is the house of God right here that I've seen this vision. This is the gate of heaven. And Jesus says, you, you will see that I'm actually the house of God. I'm the Bethel. If you abide with me, you are in the house of God. Come, come and abide and you will be in the very presence of God himself. I'm the gate of heaven. You come to me and I'll open heaven for you and let you in. You had your doubts. I will, I will squelch them. I will destroy them. And I'll replace them with this beautiful vision. And Jesus is the one who descended from heaven and came to abide with his people. The tabernacle, the house of God and promises to raise people up to the heights of heaven and seat them at his right hand in the heavenly throne room. He will reveal that to Nathaniel. Romans 10. But righteousness based on faith says, don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, now, what does it say? It says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith that we proclaim. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That Jesus comes down of his own accord. He raises from the dead of his own accord and he will send into heaven of his own accord and he will bring those with him. not based upon any great acts, but upon righteousness based upon faith. That is who Jesus will reveal himself to be to those who will simply follow in all of their doubts, in their honest unbelief, in their honest skepticism. They'll be blown away by the extent Jesus' revelation to them. Now I ask you, do you have honest doubts? Or do you have like just honest misgivings with Jesus that he says like, you know, I'm, I'm all joy and you're like, uh, I don't know. I really, I'm not really finding all that much joy in you or, you know, I'm, I'm life and meaning and you're struggling by running after meaning in the world. You don't know Christ yet. Fully as those things, as joy and as life. He says I, I, that he comes to bring true freedom. And you see him and you think, ah, I feel so constrained following you. You don't know him yet as freedom. And the great thing is that as Jesus is, invites us to follow him, we can come with those honest troubles, the honest struggles, and say, you know, teach me, reveal to me that you are these things, that you are life and life abundant, that you are peace, that you are joy, 
your comfort in the suffering. That you are the king who rules even in the midst of, of hardship. That you are the lamb who takes away sins. And that I don't have to hold on to the sins anymore. If we will follow him and come to him, he is full of grace. To receive us as we are and yet change us. To accept us in our doubts. And yet reveal himself. I invite us and myself, like, let's follow him. Let's come to know him. Let's abide in him. That we may know ourselves and him in all of his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he did not come looking for spotless people. He didn't come uh, to choose those who, who didn't need any help, but he came to the the weak and the powerless, to the sinners, and to those who are honest enough to, to admit their doubts and, and struggles. Father, we ask that uh, you might give us the faith and the confidence to, to follow Christ. Holy Spirit, would you draw us near to Jesus? And Lord, would we come to know our Savior as the one who accepts and changes, who gives us new names, who who will reveal himself to us. Father, may you give us more and more of Jesus, that we may live in him, that we may be disciples, true followers, and bring you all the glory that is deserved in him. We pray in Jesus Christ's name.